Good morning, church. I want to encourage you to um, find in your worship folder, if you've not already done so, there's a listening guide. Fill in the blank listening guide. If you're new with us, uh, it's a great resource or tool to help you follow along as we study together. And more often than not, there are things that God's going to say to you this morning that you'll want to use this week, that you'll find helpful. And if you've written it down, taken some notes, uh, it will aid you in your efforts to recall. Uh, I find that not only is God speaking to you for your benefit when you sit into a, a worship time like this, but often he's speaking about something that someone you're going to see this week, someone that you know, is going to need a word of encouragement from you, and God's providing something for you this morning in the worship service or in Bible study. So um, it's a good habit to take notes. Well, we're continuing our study called Tough to Love. We've been studying relationships now for nearly two months, and we're looking today at the subject of friends, making and keeping friends. And if you've lived in Win a while, uh, if you grew up here, you may not be conscious of the challenge that's involved in making new friends, but it is a challenge. If you've moved away and come back, you know how much of a challenge it can be. And if you're new with us today and you're a guest or you're recently moved to win, uh, you may find that challenge as well. In Proverbs 18, verse 24, the Bible says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And would that we were all blessed with friends like that. Studies show that the older that you and I get, the more challenging or difficult it is for us to point to very close friends. The first major transition occurs when you and I get out of school, whether it's high school or college, and we're suddenly thrust into a workplace and we have less in common with people than we did when we were in school. We kind of knew how to make friends in school. Uh, we had classes together. We had activities together. We were at the same institution. We had the same teams that we rooted on. We had a lot in common. But when you get out of school, that changes. And then as you progress in life, you get involved in your work, and that takes a priority. And then if you have family, that takes priority. You get involved in raising children and the busyness of life, and they tell us that in your 20s, you have pretty well peaked out in the number of friends that you're going to make in life. And then as time progresses, because of your busyness, uh, friendships and investing in friendships and taking time for friendships moves lower and lower on the list. And so it's a challenge. In fact, the research shows that in this room, 70 to 75% of us, if we had to make a new friend, we would find it very challenging. And so how can you develop fulfilling friendships? That's our focus today. Howard Hughes, uh, no longer living, billionaire, when he had made his first $4 billion, he said, I would give it all for one good friend. And uh, that's how challenging it can be. Well, how can you develop fulfilling friendships? I've got several things I want to share with you today based on God's word. Number one, show genuine interest in everyone. Not just the people you're trying to befriend, but in every one. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says this, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I believe Paul is saying at that point, applying that to friendships, that deep friendships are not accidental. They're done on purpose. They're not easy, and they require effort on our part. You can give up, you can withdraw when you meet that challenge, or you can do these things that Paul's mentioning here, and he's saying at least two things that I can, I can glean from this passage of Scripture. The first is that there's a very real expectation that you make the first move. So many times, when, especially when we're young and we're trying to make new friends, we say, well, no one wants to be friends with me. Have you ever heard a young person say that? And you say, young person, I, I've been saying that. And, um, and so we, we look for other people to make the first move, to come to us, to make the investment with us. Now, I'm not recommending uh, a secular resource on making friends this morning, and I don't know what you think of Dale Carnegie. He wrote a book in the 1930s called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And whether you like it or not, he said one thing that I believe is absolutely true and falls in line with what Paul is saying. He said... You can make more friends in two months by showing an interest in them than you can in two years by trying to get them interested in you. You can make more friends in two months by showing an interest in them than you can in two years by trying to get them to be interested in you. Don't wait for them to come to you and show an interest in everyone you make the first move. There's a second thing I think is embedded in this text, is that you need to look at more than your needs. You need to look at the needs of others. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they experiencing? And one of the best ways to do that is to learn to ask questions. If you don't know anything else to do, there's a lot of ways to show interest, but one of the best ways is just to ask questions. Where are you from? What do you like to do? Uh, what are your hobbies? Uh, what, is, what is your background? What's one of the neatest things that's happened in your life? What is, what is your religious background? I mean, when we used to train people in sharing their faith, we used to give them a series of questions, a handful of questions that they could use to develop a conversation with just about anyone. And family, interests, uh, their religious background, their experiences with God, those are all good things to talk about with someone. So to develop a fulfilling friendship, show an interest in someone, everyone. There's a second thing you can do. Be a safe person when someone opens up to you. Be a safe person when someone opens up to you. You and I need to realize that sin has damaged our ability to have relationships with one another. The Bible describes in the book of Genesis that when Adam sinned, his relationship capability declined sharply. Not only his relationship with Eve, but also his relationship to God. One of the first things that happened between man and woman, husband and wife, after sin entered the picture, was that they didn't communicate the same way anymore. One of the ways that symbolized is by the way they started dressing up. You know, they used to not have anything on at all, and there was openness and transparency. And then they, they felt shame after sin entered the picture. And they, in their feeble way, tried to hide from one another. And when God came into the garden, what did Adam do? He hid. 
And it's out of a sense of shame that we hide from God and from one another. God said, where are you? And he said, I was afraid and I was naked and I hid. And, and he was hiding from God and he was hiding from his wife. And that's what we tend to do because of the sense of shame. I'll tell you something else we do that you see in the book of Genesis is we hurl at each other. We not only hide, but we hurl. And, uh, and that is when in order to protect myself, I will say things to hurt you or say things to get you off my back. And so we hurl. You say, well, how did Adam do that? Well, God said, who told you you were naked? And Adam hurled at God and Eve in the same sentence. He said, it was the woman thou gavest me. See, he got two with one sentence. And he hurled at her and he hurled at God. And we do that, why? Because of shame. And so developing a relationship with someone means dealing with my own sense of shame. And if you know me and you know the worst about me and I reveal that to you, will you still love me? Will you still care for me? Those are the things we're afraid of. Those are the questions that we're asking. And so our, we want to be, if we're going to make friends, we got to be safe people. People who are good at making friends are safe people. People look at them and we think, I can tell that person anything. They're not going to reject me. They're going to accept me. They're going to love me. Uh, they're not going to throw me under the bus. They're not going to call me names. They're going to be a safe person for me to befriend. The Bible highlights the value of being a safe person in Proverbs 20, verse 6. The Bible says, many a man proclaims his loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? And that word trustworthy says it all, doesn't it? Who can find a trustworthy person? How can you do that? Let me share with you three biblical ways that you can be a trustworthy man or woman. Here's the first one. Be consistent. Be consistent. When a person is consistent, they are reliable. They are dependable. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. They love you when you're at your best. They love you when you're at your worst. But more significantly, they keep their word with you. They, they tell you, when well, we're going to hang out together on Saturday afternoon, and they're always there to hang out with you when they say they're going to hang out. They don't leave you flailing in the wind because something else came up that was better. Now, that's not a friend, that's a flake. And you, you want real friends. And so to do that, be consistent, be reliable, be dependable. There's a second way that we become safe, and that's by being loyal. Be loyal. What's it mean to be loyal? To be loyal to somebody means you're on their side. You come to their aid when they need it. You stand with them when they are attacked, uh, when they are in need, when they are sick, when they are hurting, when their life is falling apart. The person who is loyal is there for them. The rest of Proverbs 17, verse 17, we read, a friend loves at all times. They're consistent, but they're also loyal. It says, and a brother is born for adversity. And you want friends who are born for adversity. You want friends who are going to be there with you when times are tough. Um, Chuck Colson was part of the Nixon administration in the 1970s. Many of y'all old enough to remember that era. Uh, Mr. Nixon, President Nixon, was not 
a very nice man in some respects. Chuck Colson got caught up and was very much a participant in the criminal activities of that administration. Went to prison. While he was in prison, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and it changed his life, and he wrote a book called Born Again. As he traveled the nation speaking and sharing about how God had changed his life, uh, he would share on college campuses, and students would ask him questions about his past relationships. One student stood up during one of those kind of open forums and challenged uh, Mr. Colson and said, uh, you know, Henry Kissinger says Nixon was a terrible uh, man for this country. He was an awful president, and uh, he was uh, uh, not to be trusted, and he was a terrible kind of person. So do you agree with him? And Chuck Colson said, you know, he said, I disagree with Mr. Kissinger. He said, but, but I'm not going to attack uh, President Nixon. He said, let me tell you why. He said, because he's my friend. He's my friend. That doesn't mean I approve of everything he is or does, but he's my friend. You know what happened among those students who were angry and hostile? They stood up and applauded him. Why? Because they recognized the value of a friend who is loyal. A third quality, if you and I want to be safe, if we want to be trustworthy, is to be consistent, be loyal, and thirdly, be confidential. Be confidential. Everyone needs a safe person that they can unload on confidentially, someone you can share your most private thoughts with. And the key to that kind of trust, the, tree to, uh, the key to that kind of intimacy is knowing that that person is going to keep whatever you tell them between you and them. They're going to keep it in confidence. If you've been betrayed, if you've been abandoned or traumatized or abused or manipulated, you're going to have a hard time trusting someone, opening up to them, being transparent with them. It hinders friendships. Proverbs 11.13 speaks to this. A tale-bearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. A tale-bearer reveals secrets and makes it very clear that if I'm going to be a safe person for someone, I can't be a gossip. I can't go around talking about what my friend has shared with me. I can't be a person who anything that comes to me goes to about 10 other people. Uh, a tale-bearer reveals secrets. But he goes on and he says that he who's of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. It means you can tell them anything. They won't blab it to anybody else. Do you have a faithful spirit? When someone talks to you, do they have a sense that their secret is safe with you? You know, one of the goals that I have, one of the desires that I have for our Bible study groups at this church and for our 242 groups that meet in the summertime in homes is that they be safe places for the people who are part of those groups. That I know that in that group I can share my heart, share my burden, share my need, and that group of men and women will love me and will care for me. We want to be people who have a faithful spirit. Well, there's a third way we develop friendships. We show genuine interest, be a safe person. Thirdly, develop a ministry of listening to others. Develop a ministry of listening to, God, to others. The good news, this is a skill that anyone can develop. Uh, anybody here, everybody here can develop their ability to listen to others. And we all need to learn to listen better. Um, I have to understand it's not about me if I'm talking to someone. 
Proverbs 18, verse 2 says, A fool has no delight in understanding. No delight in understanding, but in what? Expressing his own heart. That's what he has delight in. So what does a good listener do? Well, according to this verse, a fool has no delight in understanding. If I'm a good listener, I'm the opposite of that. I want to gain understanding. I want insight. How do you do that? Well, a few verses later in Proverbs 18, verse 13, he says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. So he's saying that the way you gain understanding is by really hearing someone. Not just listening, but hearing them. And of course, hearing them means I'm not, as you're talking, I'm not thinking about the next thing I'm going to say. I'm not hearing you if I'm just thinking about the next thing I'm going to say, especially if we're discussing something difficult and I'm arguing with you and you're trying to tell me something and I'm just thinking of the next thing, next point I'm going to make. So that's not hearing. Another aspect of hearing someone is putting yourself in that person's shoes as you listen to them. Uh, We call that empathy. And you're thinking as you're listening to them, what would it be like if this was my story, if this was my experience, if this was my problem, uh, how would I respond to that? Another aspect of really hearing someone is hearing more than words. It is hearing more than words. It's hearing emotions. It's hearing thoughts. It's looking at body language, uh, how they're, they're sitting, how they're, um, their facial expressions. That's why it's so important when you and I are having a real important conversation. And if you're having a conversation with a friend, you don't want to do that through the internet. You want to do that through a text message. Uh, you really don't even want to do that over a cell phone. You want to do that face-to-face. Because one of the best ways you can really hear everything a person is saying is when you can see them. You know, God does that with you and me. In uh, Psalm 34, 15, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears are open to their cry. And so God's eyes are on us, and his ears are open to us. God hears us when we cry, and he hears us at every level. How can you develop fulfilling friendships? There's a fourth way. Expect and accept imperfections in your friends. Accept and expect. I got that backwards. Expect and accept imperfections in your friends. Some people seem surprised as they get to know someone and they discover that there's something wrong with them, that they're not perfect. That there's some aspect of their personality that rubs them the wrong way. Or that they are interested, they like some music group that you don't like. I don't know what it is, but as you get to know people, you discover that you have differences. And that you are not the same. And um, this happens in marriages. It happens in churches. As people get to know one another, we discover things that are different, not perfect, imperfect. And I've got to not be surprised when that happens. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
You know what that means? That means when you and I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing about us that causes him to turn away. It means that he accepts us fully and completely. It means that when he looks at your life and my life, all he sees is a person that he loves. There is nothing he condemns. Nothing. He says, wow, I can't believe he did that. Or I can't believe she did that. Now, you know, you and I both know we're imperfect. We both know that we're sinners. We both know we mess up. We both know we have bad days where we do a lot of things we regret and wish we hadn't done. But Almighty God says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't condemn someone else. Jesus doesn't condemn you. We all have flaws. We have faults. We have defects. We have failings. We have weaknesses. And when you draw close to somebody, you really get to see those. And if you're a person that likes to find fault, you're going to have a field day with everybody you know. Because everybody you know has faults. So how do we handle that part of the relationship? When I begin to know someone, and I begin to see who they they really are, and the masks come off, and we are more transparent and honest with each other, how do I handle that? How do I respond? Romans 15 verse 7 gives us really good direction on what to do next. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And I want you to focus on that word received, because it's a special word, and if I were going to physically illustrate it, it means to lay hold of somebody and grab them close. Receive one another, Just as Christ has received you means to embrace them to your bosom, to bring them close to you, receive them, welcome them, draw them in. And that's the picture of how we handle the imperfections between you and I, the things that we don't like about each other. Lay hold of someone, draw them close. Practically, that means warts and all. I've got to love people as they are, not as I want them to be. In Colossians 3, verse 13, he goes further. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Look at that word bearing. I think it's up there. Yeah, there it is. The word bearing. Bearing. That's a little different, isn't it? To bear with one another. We would use the language put up with. You know what it means? It means to make room. And allow for someone not being perfect to allow, make room for their faults, the things that they don't have right yet, the areas where they still make mistakes, they still fail, bearing with one another. So when you hit a bump in your relationship with a friend, and you will, don't hold a grudge, don't cut them loose. Do what Jesus does, welcome them, receive them, draw them close, bear with one another, forgive them as Jesus forgave you. Number five, how can you develop fulfilling friendships? Step into the emotional experiences of your friends. Step into the emotional experiences of your friends. I want you to imagine that 
friend comes over to your house and they're all excited. And they say, friend, I got a promotion at work. Friend, I got a new car. Friend, my child is going to get married. Friend, my grandchild is graduating from college. And they come to you with news, something they're excited about, something they're blessed by. And you listen to them and you see their excitement. And you look at it and you go, meh. I can tell you right now that friendship's not going to last very long, is it? No friendship's going to last long if we don't learn to enter into the emotions of our friends. Our culture, I believe, is burned out and calloused in this area. Reality TV has destroyed empathy and replaced it with a morbid fascination with the pain of other people. And instead of watching the news and weeping over what we see, we want more details. Show me the pictures. Show me the videos. And we'll go looking for it. And, and it's destroyed our capacity to enter into the feelings of other people. In contrast with that, the Bible says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What does that mean? It means celebrate wins. When something good happens in your friend's life, celebrate that with them. Don't envy them. Be a cheerleader for them. That is great. That's wonderful. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And then it says weep with those who weep. And your friend comes and they are brokenhearted, devastated, down. And maybe it's, it's been something they've struggled with for a while, something they've been handling for a long time. Uh, it's easy to lose your patience. It's easy to say, look, you know, you just need to chin, chin up and, and uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's easy for us to be insensitive. You know, you don't have to give advice. If they come in weeping, you can just sit down and weep with them. If they're hurting, you can just sit down and say, tell me about it. If, um, if they're brokenhearted, you can assure them with God's word that God heals the brokenhearted and God draws near. Take them by the hand, pray with them, love on them, weep with those who weep. And then number six, how can you develop fulfilling friendships? Encourage your friends to be their best and to follow Jesus. Encourage your friends to be their best and to follow Jesus. In Proverbs 27, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. It means your best friend brings out the best in you. They put an edge on your life, a sharp edge. And I thank God that I have friends in Wynn, Arkansas. And, um, you know, some people say you can't, if you're a pastor, you can't have good friends in a church. I don't believe that. I've never subscribed to that. And I thank God for my friends at Wynn Baptist Church. I thank God for my wife. And uh, she doesn't like me to call her my best friend. She says, we're more than that. <laughs> but she is my best friend. And, and I am a better man because I've been married to her. And I'm better than the man I would have been without her. And she's brought the best out of me. My friends bring the best out of me. And, and that's what you want to do as a friend, is bring out the best in them. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the Bible says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up 
love and good works. To stir up love and good works. That word stir up means provoke. And normally, this is an unusual way to use the word, because normally the word provoke means to make somebody mad, to tick them off, to set them off on a course of being angry and upset. But here the word is used differently. Let's provoke each other, not to anger, but to love. Boy, that's a mind bender, isn't it? How do you provoke someone to love, provoke someone to good works? And yet that's what we're called to do. You know, the context of that verse is the church. Uh, the church gathered together. That's the same passage where it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And the, in the context of the church, we are called to provoke one another, not to anger, but to love and to good works. Uh, Lifeway Research did a study some time ago, and they discovered that in the average congregation, and you need to know that the average church in Arkansas is less than 100 people. Uh, that's true nationwide. We have thousands of churches in the United States. The average church is fairly small. In the research that Lifeway did, they discovered that 50% of the people in the average church, which means that the other 50% are very vulnerable, but 50% would say, I have close and meaningful friendships in my church. That's half. That means half don't see the church that way. And so any little thing that happens... And that other half is out of here. And that's what we see over and over again in churches. 50% say, I have close and meaningful friendships in my church. Now, that changes dramatically when they interview people who are actively involved in a Bible study group. Like we have on Sunday mornings after the service, and like we have during the summertime that meet in homes, our 242 groups. If you're part of one of those groups, the number goes from 50% to 90%. There's a direct relationship between being in a Bible study group, a small group, and the number of friends or your sense of friendships in the church. And, and it's in that context that Hebrews is speaking. In the context of those relationships in the church, we can provoke one another to love and good works. You can't provoke one another from a distance. You can only provoke one another up close. Now, social media is giving you some additional opportunities, but those are virtual friends. We're talking about real friends here, okay? And so, develop these friendships. Encourage your friends to be their best. Now, this provoking of others to love and good works is also sometimes doesn't feel good. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes we have to say difficult things to our friends. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. Brian, would you... You know, if you sat somewhere else, I wouldn't call on you so much. But come up here just a second. Don't move, brother. That's okay. You, you don't have to say anything make a speech. This is a good-looking guy, isn't it? Don't you agree, Jessica? Anyway, all right. What do you see? He sees himself. And he sees himself because I'm doing what? I'm holding a mirror up to him. And, you know, that's what friends do. A good friend is not someone that's just going to let things go on and on and on. If you see your friend doing something that's hurtful to them, hurtful to somebody else, a good friend's going to do that. They're going to hold a mirror up to you. Thank you, Brian. You can sit down. Give him a big hand. See, you got ovation. I'm going to make him stand up in the next hour to get a standing ovation. Uh, you don't need people who are just going to say nice things about you all the time. 
You don't need flattery. I heard somebody say recently that flattery was like perfume. It smells good, but you don't want to swallow it. And, and flattery is that way too. You need some people who are going to tell you the truth in your life. They're going to stand up to you and say, friend, I think you're wrong. Friend, I, I think you're full of hot air. Friend, I think you're wrong. And, and, and have those tough conversations in Proverbs 27, verse 5. The Bible says, open rebuke is better than love, carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so good friends are indeed like a mirror. They help us see the truth. They help us avoid self-deception. They help keep us honest. Ultimately, friends care more about your future than about your feelings. Where do you start with this? If you're going to develop good friends, what commitment can you make today? Well, we've got six things you can do, but let me give you one word that's going to make a difference. If you are here this morning, you're struggling to make new friends, you're new to win, or you're new to this church, give it time. Uh, first of all, it takes time. The longer you live in a place, the more friends you develop. It just is. And that's why some of you have lived here your whole life. Uh, it's very easy for you to be satisfied with the friendships that you have. I don't need new friends. I don't need to, to reach out to folks. It's very easy to fall into that trap. It is. The longer you live somewhere, the less conscious. You don't do it on purpose, but the less conscious you are of new people. I see it happen in our church all the time. Someone new walks in the door. And instead of immediately thinking, there's someone new, I need to go meet them, some of us have the thought, there's someone new, I need to find out who that is. Who is that person? And we ask one of our friends who that stranger is that just came in. And, and so you and I need to become people that put new faces on our radar screen. And, uh, and that takes time. And so if you're trying to develop relationships, give it time. Uh, let me tell you the most important thing you can do for your friend. If you're going to bring out the best in them, you're going to do these things that we talked about. The very best thing you can do is describe for us in Matthew 28, verse 19. You're going to recognize it. Go, therefore, and make disciples. I, can, I need to suggest to you that making a disciple includes friendship. That friendship is very much part of the disciple-making process. And, and making those disciples means that I've got to constantly be opening up my circle of friendships to include new people. Whether it's my Bible study group or just my friends that I have in my world, I need to open that up to include new people. If we're going to make it hard... For people to go to hell from when? We're going to make it hard because we become a people who know how to make friends. And we reach out to individuals and we say, we can be a safe congregation. We can be a safe people. We can be a safe Bible study group. I can be a safe friend. And, um, and you say, well, pastor, are you saying that you should be friends with lost people? Absolutely. Why wouldn't you want to be friends with lost people? Now, I'm not talking about making friends with lost people as an excuse for you to indulge in things that you know are offensive to Christ. I'm not suggesting that. But you should certainly befriend lost people, people that don't know Jesus. You should certainly befriend them. Jesus befriended people. 
that didn't know God. Here's the bottom line. Am I following Jesus in my friendships? Am I following Jesus in my friendships? If I'm following Jesus, he calls me to be a better friend. Not just to be any kind of friend. He calls me to be the best friend I can be. And that includes sharing Jesus with my friends, helping them grow in Christ, helping them be the best person that they can be in Christ. Well, you've heard all of this and you say, Pastor, I just wish I had one true friend. I've heard what you said today and I'm going to try that. I'm going to try to do these things that you've suggested this morning. I see it in God's word and I'm going to apply that to my life. And I encourage you to do that. Pray and ask God, oh God, help me. Give me a godly friend. Give me some good friends that I can walk with and that I can grow with. But can I, can I call your attention to that first verse we read at the very beginning of our study this morning? It was from Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man of many friends may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, obviously, that's a good friend, but let me tell you who that friend is, and you can, you can befriend him right now. His name is Jesus. He's the friend who's available to you right now, and he wants to be your friend. You say, well, Pastor, how do you know Jesus wants to be my friend? Because even Jesus' enemies said that he was a friend of sinners, and you and I are sinners, and Jesus wants to be friends with you and me. In the Bible, it says that he called those who followed him his friends. And then a few verses later, he said that no greater love has man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus did that for you. He went to the cross and he laid down his life for you so that you might know him. To start a relationship with Jesus begins when you realize that you need Christ for forgiveness, that your relationship with God is broken, that the shame you feel over sin is real, and that Jesus alone can remove that shame. The Bible tells us that he bore our shame on the cross. He bore our shame as well as our sins. And when he died on the cross, he died for everything that you've ever done wrong. Everything that you're ever going to do wrong. Jesus died for all your sins on the cross. Why? Because he loved you. He wants you to know him. And he wants you to know him as God. He wants you to know him as Lord. He wants you to know him as friend. And so this morning, we're going to stand and sing. We're going to have a time of response And I would encourage you to embrace Jesus publicly and without shame. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you when we stand and sing to say, you know, I'm going to trust Christ today. And I'm not going to hesitate. Don't worry about what anybody else will say or think. If you're all the way up in the balcony, there's lots of time. You can come on down here. And uh, I'll be standing here. Todd will be here. There might be another pastor here. Come to one of us. Take us by the hand. Say, hey. Pastor, I want to know Christ, and we'll share Scripture with you. We'll help you in that journey to come to know Jesus, for your sins to be forgiven, and truly a new life to begin this morning. We invite you to come. If you have another need, you just need someone to pray for you or with you. Maybe you're struggling in this area of friendships, or you know someone that is, and you just want someone to pray with you about that. Uh, We're happy to do that with you. The altar is open. Even there in the pew where you're sitting, if you got, you're sitting near a friend, you can reach over and grab him by the hand and say, let's pray together. Pray with me. Pray for me. Let's pray for somebody we know. And let's make this a time of response where we're sensitive to the Lord. Okay?
pray with me. Father, thank you for the truth of your word about relationships, and especially today for what you have shown us about making and keeping friends. Thank you that you are a friend of sinners. Praise you. We praise you that you are a friend of sinners and that you have not condemned us or turned your back on us, but you have offered us a way to escape our shame and to be free from our sin. Father, as we respond to you, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit in full force. We pray this place would be filled with your Spirit, filled with your glory, that you would break the old crusty hearts that we carry around with us, cause us to be increasingly sensitive to your presence and responsive to you when you nudge us and prompt us and speak to us. This time is yours, Lord. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.